Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto you from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this evening is from part of the gospel lesson that I have just read from John chapter 19. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, fellow redeemed, it has come to an end. It is finished. Jesus has died. All things necessary for our salvation now have been completed and accomplished. Jesus has paid the price for sin. Gone forever is that wall between us and God. Soon Jesus will descend into hell, death, and, the, and, and be victorious over death and the devil. His forthcoming Easter resurrection will be God the Father's stamp of approval, the showing of his full acceptance for, of what Jesus has done for us, for our salvation. The events that we have seen transpired after the death of Jesus have been all remarkable thus far. So also the evidence that we're going to see today when that body of Jesus is taken down from the cross and buried. These events will help us focus our meditation and to answer that question. The question that everyone who learns of these events must sooner or later answer, what shall I do with Jesus? Terror had filled the hearts of Jesus' family and his disciples. Were they next? With the insane hatred that had nailed an innocent man to the cross, now focus on them as well? Were they next? Was it only a matter of time before they're going to be killed as well? Perhaps even crucified? Were they next? It is not surprising that the scripture, of course, says nothing of the family of Jesus and, of course, his disciples asking for Jesus' body for burial. But two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who before were fearful and they were timid, had come to Jesus at night, now stepped forward with courage and with boldness. It was surprising that the members of the Sanhedrin, the highest power in Israel, that ruling body of the Jews, which had condemned and seen to the execution of Jesus, now carry out that burial at considerable risk to themselves. These men had been secret believers before, but now they made it public. The enemies of Jesus played one last prominent role in this event. In so doing, they inadvertently helped to establish that truth of the impending resurrection of Jesus. As we examine the events surrounding the burial of Jesus, we will see two very different groups of people with two very different approaches to Jesus. We will use their actions to confront ourselves with that choice, what shall I do with Jesus? The example of those who believed and served, we want to look at at first. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, secretly a believer. He had kept his faith hidden for two reasons. He feared the Jews and their rabid hatred of Jesus, 
and believers in Jesus could expel them from the synagogue. Well, gone now are their fear and their trepidation. Anyone can say those words, I believe in Jesus. But to say those words in the face of real deadly danger, to actually do those deeds and show such faith, require great bravery. Actions, of course, speak louder than words. And the actions of Joseph speak at full volume. Thus, Joseph becomes God's instrument. Another one of his prophecies about Jesus is recorded in Isaiah 53, which we read in our Old Testament lesson this evening. There it is that it foretold that the Messiah would be buried in, with the rich in his death. It makes the most sense to assume that Joseph was there at Golgotha. And when Jesus died, he probably asked the centurion to watch the body while he went and asked Pilate for permission to bury Jesus. And because of the prominence of Joseph, the centurion would have been glad to agree to have his soldiers do what he had asked. And Pilate was astounded to hear that Jesus was dead already, and he summoned the centurion to verify that this was so. And then he grants Joseph's request. Joseph takes charge. Now, we're not told of the details of how they got Jesus off the cross. Was the cross lifted out of its socket and then lowered? Did the body, or did they climb up a ladder, as we see in some pictures, and detach the body? Well, it was done. And accompanying Joseph was Nicodemus, who again came by Jesus by night and asked how he might be born again. And here Joseph and Nicodemus must have met before, and probably also at the foot of the cross. And by mutual agreement, one brought linen and the other brought spices. Nicodemus brought myrrh and aloe, 75 pounds worth. And you, if you look, that was a tremendous amount in any account. It cost a fortune and would be used to bury a king. And Judith, of course, must have been there to estimate the value. He should have been there. The body is wrapped with linen and and the spices sprinkled in the wrappings, and the body is then taken to a new grave. Recently, that was hewn out by in solid rock. It was intended to be used by Joseph and his family. It had never been used, thus no corruption. Not even the scent of decay touches the body of Jesus. Sundown is almost upon them, and quickly they place that body inside, and then they roll that stone over the tomb's entrance. Well, the women had stood at a distance, now followed and saw where Jesus was laid to rest. They went home to prepare their own spices and, per and perfumes and planned to return when that Sabbath day was over. What does this all have to do with me? But there's a question that needs to be answered. What shall I do with Jesus? He died upon the cross for all mankind. He shed his blood that all might be saved. And that includes you, and that includes me. Should we not put aside all fear and, and cowardice that would prevent us from confessing his name? Should we not come forward to serve him as Joseph and Nicodemus did so long ago? The women who went home, shall we not spend our time preparing to serve our Lord? 
when that opportune time comes. Our Jesus gave his all for us. He suffered and he died for our sins. There he chose to hang that so that we may never hang. His death brought our life. There's an old hymn that asks, I gave my life for thee. My precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? The price of our salvation was not cheap. It cost our Lord dearly. And that same, that same hymn that I just quoted, it continues, I suffered much for thee, more than my tongue may tell. A bitterness agony to rescue thee from hell. I suffered much for thee. What canst thou bear for me? God has given his utmost for us. Again we are asked, and I bought thee, and I brought thee to thee down from my home above. Salvation full and free, my pardon and my love. Great gifts I brought to thee. What hast thou brought to me? How do we answer that? What shall we give to Jesus? Once more this hymn writer speaks. Oh, let thy life be given, thy years for me be spent, world fetters all be riven, and joy with suffering blent. I gave myself for thee, give thou myself to me. How do we answer that? What shall we give to Jesus? Can it be any less than the best that we have? Should it not be as generous and loving as his gift to us? The past with all the sins and failures is wiped away in Jesus. In him and with him and through him, we have a new life. We have a new beginning. Together with God, there is no limit to what may be done in his name. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. What will each of us do with Jesus? But in this text, there is also the example of those who did not believe and fought against Jesus. Few hatreds, few hatreds can match the religious hatred. It's a religious hatred that fuels the enemies of Jesus. The hypocrites hated Jesus so much that they violated the holiness, holiest of Sabbaths. When the crowd had been present when Jesus was before Pilate, they had refused to enter Pilate's house, lest they be contaminated and unfit to celebrate the Sabbath. Now, they secretly make their way to Pilate and entered his abode. How quickly they changed their supposed religious principles. What drives them also is fear. Their purpose was to make sure in their fear that one of Jesus' disciples might steal the body of Jesus and then claim that Jesus had fulfilled his promise to rise on the third day. What could be stranger or more bizarre than that, that the enemies of Jesus would so readily remember the resurrection promise, but it seems that his disciples did not. They fawn on Pilate, addressing him as Sir and Lord. They refuse to even use that name of Jesus. They use the vile 
uh, designation, the deceiver. They asked that the, stone, that the tomb be secure, lest the last deception would be worse than the first. And in their mind, the first deception was when Jesus claimed to be the, be the Messiah. And the second and worse to their way of thinking would be that some supposed the resurrection supposedly proved that he was the Son of God. Take a guard, Pilate tells them, and make the tomb secure as you know how. And so they do. A Roman guard then is posted at the door and it's sealed. But in so doing, they help to establish the truth of the resurrection. And with the tomb guarded by Rome's best, the body could not be stolen. The only explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead as he said he would. Religious hatred of, the, of Jesus still abounds. Besides the out-and-out out enemies of the gospel, there are those who will fight against the principles and the truths of God's word that Jesus stood for. If you want to lose your popularity to the world or with the world, stand up for Jesus and see what happens. The world no longer considers you its friend when you speak for God's morals, his ethics, or judgments. The choice, what shall I do with Jesus? It still confronts us, not just on Good Friday, but every day of our life. In its subtle and, and devious ways, the world seeks to separate us from Jesus, to get us to be quiet about the one who gave his life for us, who died for us, who rose to prove that all of our sins are paid for. You have seen before you this evening two different groups, Two different choices they made. What will be your choice? Today, tomorrow, and always.